Hey, we are in a, in a new, or new series, yeah, new series, which is nine weeks old, and uh, where we are going through the life of Jesus through the book of Mark. We started kind of unofficially uh, on Christmas Eve, since Mark doesn't talk about the birth of Christ, but we started with the birth of Christ, and the idea was we were going to go from celebrating the birth of Christ to going all the way through Easter uh, to celebrate uh, Christ. Uh, being risen from the dead, and we had this idea that we would go through the the book of Mark in that 16-week period. And you, as well as us, uh, have realized at this point that in order to do that, you have to go like light speed through the book of Mark. And uh, so that's what we've been doing each week. And we can't cover everything and into the depth that we would like to. And that's why we think it's a real good teaching opportunity to say, hey, you know what, we're only going to be able to touch upon uh, the life of Jesus here in the 30 minutes or, or so that I have the opportunity to you know, talk with you guys. And just to say, hey, you know what, uh, on the back of your fridge fold each week, there's a going deeper. Uh, you can do that on your own. There's also groups that get together, discussion groups to go deeper on these things. So just really trying to impress upon us that, hey, you know what? Uh, living with Christ and following Christ is, is a daily discipline in, in our learning and expanding and just trying to understand Him. Also, uh, as Eric alluded to, we had a, a worship gathering Wednesday night where we really talked about the, the next several weeks of what we are going to be doing and uh, we talked a little bit more about Holy Week this year. Uh, as we enter into Holy Week, which is the week before Easter, each evening uh, starting on Tuesday leading up to Easter, that we are going to be having worship gatherings where we go a little bit more in depth, a little more experiential, and different kinds of things, uh, uh, th- special things of note on Thursday night. Uh, we're going to be having a Passover Seder, uh, which is the traditional uh, Jewish meal uh, that, that happens, and that's what Jesus and the disciples were doing in the upper room. It's uh, what we symbolize in communion, so that'll bring a lot of depth to your faith if you haven't gone through a Seder uh, before. And then also on Friday, we're going to be watching the, the Passion of Christ, uh, so that'll be a little bit different, and those of you who haven't seen that or haven't seen it for a long time, just being able to really uh, vividly be able to take in what Jesus went through when he was uh, tried and put to death on that Friday. And then right after uh, the conclusion of that, we're going to be going into a prayer vigil as a community, and we're going to have sign-ups over there uh, in the next couple of weeks where uh, we are going to be praying all the way up into the, the worship gathering uh, that are, uh, on Easter morning. One thing to be praying about uh, that we're, we're looking right now uh, to see if we can find a, a place, a, a facility that we could actually just have one worship gathering on Easter, um, which would be a whole lot of fun, we think, just to have uh, everybody together at once, our whole church. So be praying that uh, maybe if God wants that, that he opens up that opportunity that we can all uh, come together on Easter as one big church family. 
So through this series, uh, we've been asking really two questions each and every week. The first question is, who is Jesus? And the second question is, what does it mean to follow him? Now, that first question, who is Jesus? We've come up with lots of different kind of answers. Uh, and just, I was thinking it might be kind of fun just to see, you know, as we go through, what are some different answers that people throughout, uh, through up to this point have come up with? You can just yell them out. Teacher, prophet, absolutely. Just a carpenter, yeah, absolutely. Just a carpenter. Crazy, yeah, absolutely. Friend. Blasphemer, yeah. Anything else? Healer, right? That's a big thing that people are coming around and, and saying he was a healer. The, the Pharisees said he was possessed by Satan, right? Um, what else? Prophet. A magician, absolutely. A, a, a magician that people thought he was a magician. Uh, they also, last week, remember some people like Herod, uh, the king, King Herod thought, hey, is this, you know, John the Baptist reincarnated? And, and other people were like, hey, is this Elijah who was prophesied about coming back? He was going to usher in the time of Messiah, the Messiah. So we've had kind of these different, uh, kind of answers to this, this question from different people of who is Jesus? And, uh, the disciples have been really just kind of scratching their head up about this up to this point. They've been seeing all these different things that, that he is doing, and they're like, who, who is this guy? You know, it's interesting, one thing that nobody mentioned, and I think is going to be really highlighted today in chapter 7, is that Jesus was also human. We don't think about that a lot and uh but but one of the big things about about God coming to earth and and Jesus coming to earth and why is that he was 100% God yes but he was also 100% human that he had he went through and he had the same human experience as we did and he and he felt pain and he felt disappointment and he felt frustration and he felt anger and he felt betrayal all these kind of things that, that we feel. And this is, this is important to us because it's not like we have a removed God that doesn't understand the human experience, that he, that he understands firsthand. In fact, probably even more so than, than what we've experienced. I mean, think about you know betrayal. We all know what betrayal is, right? And we've all been betrayed by a friend or a loved one in that pain. But, but obviously, none of, none of us, our, our betrayal hasn't led to death. You know, that kind of thing. We haven't been handed over to the authority of somebody in our inner circle who, who we trusted. And so, he has this, this human experience. So, when we open up our Bibles today, and we're going to be in chapter 7... We start out, and I want to look at today kind of through that grid. One day, some Pharisees and t- teachers of religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They noticed that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand washing before eating. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law asked them, Why don't your disciples follow our age old tradition? They eat first. They eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. 
Now, right off the bat, I'm sure all of us are saying, yeah. You know, I mean, I, and, and we're like, well, yeah, they, they should wash their hands, right? But kind of the idea that's going on, just kind of the backfill of this story, if you remember from last week, uh, Jesus fed 5,000 people, right, with, with five loaves and two fishes. Fish, sorry, I keep doing that. And two fish. What was left over? Twelve baskets. Twelve baskets. So, uh, historians and theologians think, okay, you know what, they're out, they're, they're traveling and everything, and they, they're, they're carrying around, you know, these twelve, you know, twelve baskets, twelve guys, each one's carrying some of it, and, and I don't know about you, one of the most dangerous things for me is to, like, buy, buy some chips at the market and just, like, have it with me while I'm driving or something, or a lot of times I'll be hungry when I go to the supermarket, and I'll try to, like, just grab, you know, I'll get all the stuff that Shannon told me to get, you know, like the broccoli and all that kind of stuff, and then, like, I'll kind of go and, and uh, you know, pay cash on a second separate receipt, uh, no, uh, you know, some Doritos or something like that. And, and it, it's like amazing that they like disappear before, before I get home. You know, I'm just sitting there and, and when you're just snacking, you know, you just, you know, you don't wash your hands, you know, especially when it's just your stuff, you know, you're not sharing. There's like a different, at least for me, there's a different level of, uh, you know, just cleanliness, right? You know, and so you're grabbing, you're eating, you're like, well, you know, if it's on me, I've already got it or whatever. So, so this is, this is kind of what, you know, kind of visualizing here is the disciples are going around and they're basically dipping into their Doritos bag, grabbing some bread um, or a fish, and they are eating it. And the Pharisees are sitting there and going, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, they're not doing the the ritual hand washing. And this, this ritual, number one, was a, was a tradition. Uh, that it started out, you know, they would pour water over their hands and show that, you know, they're, that they're, they're pure and they're purifying their hands. But it got to a point that they would, they would actually go all the way to their elbows. And then the tradition became so entrenched that even when they were out in like the wilderness and things like that and there wasn't any water, you know what they would do? They would just do it. They would act like they were doing it. Seriously. They would act like they would go through the ritual of hand washing with pretend water. And, and the disciples are sitting there just... And they're like, whoa, 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 you know, what's going on? So... Jesus, and I, I think this is one of his, his kind of, his first humanists. Remember, remember when, you, like last week, that they were trying to do something, right? Jesus was trying to take his disciples on a sabbatical, trying to give them a little mini vacation because ministry was just crazy. They didn't have time to eat, that they were rushing around, that they were tired. And Jesus is like, okay, we need to withdraw here and, 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 and get some rest, you know, this is, this is what humans do. You, we all know, like if, you know, we all learned in college that you can't, you know, dance and party all night and go back to class and then just keep on doing that. Eventually, you will crash. So Jesus is trying to say, okay, you know what? As, as people, that, that it's important that we take time to rest. 
that the best research out there shows that, you know what, we are the most productive when we're rested. And if we push ourselves and push ourselves and we have a deadline that we become less creative and less engaged, that there's something important that happens when we have downtime. And those of us with a type A uh, personality, that it's very hard for us to, to take time off. When we first launched this church, I used to be in a working seven days a week kind of mentality. And, and I couldn't take a day off. It just, it, it was, I just, I couldn't make it in, in my schedule. I'm very goal-oriented. It might be come to a surprise to some of you. And, uh, you know, and driven and, and wanting to do things. And finally, after, uh, you know, a lot of just input from other people, I had to make a new goal in order to have downtime. And the new goal, and you're probably going to laugh at this, but my goal was on Mondays to accomplish nothing. And I had accountability people come in, you know, and ask me on Tuesday, you know, did you accomplish thing, anything on, on Monday? No, I didn't accomplish anything. Good job, Mark. You know, that, that you had absolutely no value to society that day. And uh, that, was, that was a good thing. And for me, it was, a, it was a very difficult thing. And putting time in your life as, a, as an executive or a, as a student or as a, as a mom, to have these set-aside times where you are being able to just recharge your batteries and, and to, to hear from God and just to digest everything that is, is happening in your life is of utmost importance. So, they're coming in and, and, and Jesus is listening to this. Listening to these these, these Pharisees, these religious rulers coming in and just saying, hey, why aren't you doing the ritual hand washing? Why aren't you following our traditions? And Jesus very gently responds, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you and he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce. For they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. For you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. Then he said, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own traditions. I, I couldn't imagine what this, how this was received. Like these guys who have patterned their whole life around externally showing how righteous and religious they were, that they did everything they could uh, to uphold and show that, that they were men of God. And they come out to check out this Jesus and to hear about His teachings and, and, and they see that the disciples aren't following some, not the law, but, but the oral traditions. And they call them on it and they're like, ha And Jesus comes right back, almost quoting verbatim out of Isaiah saying, you are the guys that Isaiah was prophesying about, that you, you guys are hypocrites, that your hearts are far from God, your worship is a farce. 
mean, this is, this is devastating stuff. And it's scary when you, when you think about it. In, in my doctoral cohort that I'm in, I was, I was given a book literally that thick of, of liturgical uh, items that are, that are, that are used in, in worship that have been throughout the centuries, just, just diff- different things. And uh, as I was reading this book and in discussion and in, in the class, you know, I don't know a lot about liturgy and, and, and things like that. And I, and I asked the question, I posed the question, is my, is my faith somehow lacking because I haven't engaged in any of this? And I was very surprised by the answer. Their, their answer was, you know what? You know, you're in your emerging church, and we're, we have a lot of different kind of uh, um, denominations in, in my, my cohort. And, and they're all like, we look at, we look at uh, you know, the, these different kinds of liturgy the same way that, that you know, in, in your church, and they've never been here, but they said, in your church, you have a stool and projection. And, and I was like thinking about that and unpacking that and talking with them. And, and I, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I like my stool. And I thought it was very interesting that he knew I had a stool. I didn't realize that that was kind of a hallmark of, of our type of church. But, uh, uh, but obviously, you know, it, it, it is. And I was like, you know what? I don't, I don't think any... Like, I don't think our, our worship or we use the stool as, as kind of a, a litmus test of our orthodoxy. Like, in fact, I know, I know it's true that we don't need projection. You know, we live in Tallahassee and I mean, power goes out all the time. And to be quite honest with you, many times when, when that goes out, those are the, the best worship gatherings. It just, it's just like... Every so often, God just says, you know what? Everything's out. It's just you and me. And we're just going to have a special time. And I think it, a lot of times we get into very dangerous water. Not that liturgy's bad or, or, or these things that, that we use to remember things that, that Christ has done. But I think that you, you start to get into a dangerous kind of place. Where, where those traditions start to supersede the real heart and mind behind Jesus Christ. And Jesus in, in Mark 12 boils it all down to us, and we talk a lot about, about this, when you know, there's the 613 laws, there's endless oral tradition, there's liturgy, there's stools, there's projection, and all this, but at the end of the day, when it's wiped out, what does it mean to be a follower of Christ? And Jesus says this. He says, look, you must love your Lord your God with all your heart, all your emotions, all, all your mind, all your intellect, all your soul, all your spirit, all your strength, everything that you are. And equally as important, to love your neighbor as yourself. And that is what's important. And everything else may assist you in doing that, but it can never, ever supersede your primary call to having a right relationship with God and a right relationship with people. 
So he goes on through there, and after this whole interaction, and we're picking up in verse 24, that Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre. And now we're going to get another clue to kind of that Jesus is human. When he got there, he didn't want anyone to know which house he was staying in, but he couldn't keep it a secret. Jesus once again is trying to remove not, you know, he's trying to remove himself from from just the the daily grind of all the ministry to have a little bit of alone time to recharge his batteries. And then right away it says a woman who had heard about him came and fell at his feet. Her little girl was possessed by an evil spirit and she begged him to cast out the demon from her daughter. Since she was a Gentile born in Syria, Jesus told her, First, I should feed the children, feed the children, my own family, the Jews. Isn't it, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. Now, we had a huge discussion about this this week. You know, we, a lot of times we have this, this, this image again of, of, of Sunday school Jesus. In Sunday school, Jesus, I don't know about you, but never called anybody a dog. Jesus loved everybody. This I know, for the Bible told me so. But Jesus is sitting here, and, and this Gentile woman is coming to him and saying, Jesus, Jesus, my little girl is possessed by a, a demon or something like that, and I hear that you are a healer, that you can cast out evil spirits, and I want you to heal her. And Jesus, number one, is trying to be by himself, and, and he, she comes to him, and, and, and he comes out. And he says, why, why should I heal her? That I've come to take care, first and foremost, for my children. Why should I take my power, the power of God, and throw it to the dogs. Very harsh statement. There's no way to get around it. You can try. You can try to soften it. You can, you can try to excuse it. You can try to mold it and bend it into, to fit into our cultural sensibilities. But by doing so, you are removing the very person of Jesus who, you know what? The, who is he? And what does it mean to follow him? Now, interesting enough, there's in, in Greek or in Aramaic what she's speaking, but, well, actually in Greek, he's speaking Greek to her because she didn't know Aramaic, that, that he actually uses a different word from the, uh, the word dog than any other reference of it in Scripture. You see, dogs were scavengers. They were hated beasts in the, in the first century in the ancient Near East. That they went around and they, I mean, they, just, they were just nasty you know, animals. Kind of like how we would think of like possums or something like that, right? Nobody likes a possum. And uh, so, but he actually said there were some domesticated uh, uh, dogs. And uh, they would be little tiny dogs and they were like little 
lapdog. So he actually uses this word as pet. And so he's coming in, it's, a, it's on the surface, I mean, at the first reading, it sounds extremely harsh, but it's still not good. And if you dig a little bit deeper and try to figure out, okay, what is going on here? Well, this woman is a Gentile, and, and in this area, uh, in modern-day Lebanon, that, that uh, sorcery was, was the, the religion of the, of the day. That these magicians would come in and they would chant a few things and do all this kind of stuff and that, that they would be healed. And basically what Jesus is doing here is this woman, this Gentile is coming to him as one of these sorcerers, one of these wizards to like, you know, to cast a spell or, or chant something to get rid of this, this demon. And, and, and Jesus is saying, look, you're asking me for scraps and, you know, you're coming to me as a wizard, but I'm not a wizard. I am the, the Messiah coming. And why should I cast and throw away my power on someone who's just going to look at it as a nifty trick? And after hearing this, she replied, That's true, Lord. But even the dogs under the table are allowed to eat the scraps from the children's plate. And Jesus says, good answer. Good answer. He said, now go home for the demon has left your daughter. And when she arrived home, she found her little girl lying quietly in bed and the demon was gone. You know, you see this 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 interchange and 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 uh, this interaction between Jesus trying to be alone in this and this this pagan woman this 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 Gentile woman and she's coming to him with a with a real need and when she first approaches him that coming in and saying I just need you to do a trick Jesus and Jesus is like you know what I'm not gonna I'm not I'm not a cheap imitation of what you know what you're used to that when you come to me you are you are coming to the source of all power and all strength and i'm not just going to carelessly throw that around and she after hearing this gets this and gets that that you know what she's not currently under the, 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 the umbrella of being a child of God. But after she had this interaction that, that we see redemption come and, and, and Jesus bringing her in and, and starting to understand or pull in that, you know what? That, that Jesus came not only for the Jews, but He came for everyone. In fact, in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, that's to the Jews, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That systematically that Jesus came initially for the Jews, but that is not where it was meant to stay. In fact, we get a clue kind of here of what does it mean to follow Jesus? 
That, that when Jesus pours his love and his grace and abundance into us, that we are meant to overflow throughout the world and be the conduits of his love and his good deeds. After that interaction, he left Tyre and he went up to Sidon before going back to the Sea of Galilee in the region of ten towns. A deaf man with a speech impediment was brought to him. And the people begged Jesus to lay hands on the man to heal him. Jesus led him away from the crowd so he could be alone. He put fingers into the man's ear. And this is kind of gross. Then spitting on his own fingers, he touched the man's tongue. Looking up into heaven, he sighed and said, Epha, which means be open. I don't know. I got caught up on that. He sighed. Like, why do you sigh? Just yell it out. Huh? Relief? Exasperation? What? Just tired. Annoyed. Frustrated. It's, it's kind of you know, hard to, to like, figure out why he sighed. You know why I think he sighed? Because he's human. That, that once again, you know, you don't think of a sighing Jesus. That, that you come, come to Jesus and, and, you know, Jesus, heal me. And, you know, and he's in front of the crowd and everything, and he's like, number one, let's, let's just go you and me. You know, this is, this is between you and me, and it doesn't really concern anybody else. And he gets there, and it just shows that, that the weight of, of ministry is, is weighing on his humanness. And that it obviously takes energy to, to heal somebody. And he goes and he puts his fingers in his ear, and he spits on his hands and touches his, his tongue. And he sighs, Ephatha, to be open. And instantly the man could hear perfectly and his tongue was freed so he could speak plainly. Jesus told the crowd not to tell anyone, but the more he told them not to, the more they spread the news like Fight Club. They were completely amazed. And they said again and again, everything he does is wonderful. He even makes the deaf hear and gives speech to those who cannot speak. And I, when I look, I look at this and I and I and I and I see the the increasing pressure that he is getting from the religious leaders, the people who should have been the most excited about Jesus being there. And you see the pressure from people who want Him to be something that He isn't. Jesus, we just want You to be a wizard. We want You to be a healer. And Him just becoming more and more just frustrated with that, with that situation and, and how people are 
or viewing him. So much so that he that he's removing kind of his, his these public these public healings in front of everyone else because it's starting to derail people and they're just thinking, "Oh, here's Jesus, and this is what I can get from him." And you know what? That goes right to to the 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 heart of it that I think is one of the biggest issues of, of how people have viewed Jesus in the 20th and 21st century. That, that they look at Jesus as something or someone that they can get what they want from. We talked a little bit about this last week is going and approaching Jesus as the, as the cosmic Coke machine, the cosmic vending machine, going to Him. And the reality is, that this is why so many people, you know, have, have come and, and they, they want Jesus to make them healthy and wealthy and wise. They, they want, you know, this, this life of ease, comfort, and pleasure. They want, you know, to come to Jesus and everything is going to be fine. It's one of the biggest lies that the church has perpetuated onto the world that if you become a Christian, that you are going to have a happy, clappy, perfect, plastic life. And people look at these facades and then they, they, they hear slogans like, Try Jesus. Or they see bumper stickers even worse. Try Jesus. If you don't like them, the devil will take you back. Right? You seen that? You know what? I, for, those, for those of you under 40 are not going to remember this, Remember the, the Pepsi challenge? The Pepsi challenge. You know, they do this, you know, against Coke. You know, that, that it, it, you know, boiled down, try Pepsi. If you don't like Pepsi, Coke will take you back. Jesus is not a soft drink. He's not a product that you keep the receipt and return him if it doesn't work out. You know what? Jesus says, follow me. Not that I'm going to make your life easier. He says, follow me. Pick up your cross daily. Follow me and you know what? Things are going to be harder. That you are going to be set apart and held to a higher standard. I had a conversation this week with somebody who goes to this church who, who operates in a political kind of structure. I'm trying to be vague. And, uh, and they're all like, hey, all this, this maneuvering's going on. And I'm thinking if I do this and this and this, and I'm, I just looked at them and said, you've been called to a higher standard than that. I said, you need, you need to be an ambassador of Christ in this situation. And if it costs you your job, it costs you your job. So you don't come to me for advice. <laughs> and you know what? That's, I, I'd love to tell you that. Hey, that situation worked out great. Got a promotion and everything. I don't, that's still in play. But following Jesus sometimes might cost you your job. Might cost you your friends. But what you gain is a peace that transcends all understanding, a, a purpose of a higher calling, and the assurance that you have a right relationship with God.
that hopefully with that right relationship will bring you at peace with the world around you. Will you guys pray with me? Dear Lord, I just pray for, for us that those of us who have approached You like a, a soft drink or, or a vending machine, God, I pray that You give us the, the will and the courage to live lives that are bigger than us, as big as the lives that You've envisioned for us to live out, to be a catalyst for change, to, to live out this higher calling. That we don't gravitate toward the worldly path or the easy path, but the, the path that ultimately brings you glory and shows that we are people who truly understand who you are and the cost and benefit that it is accompanied by following you. In Jesus' name.